Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 7th of September here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, the UK's Labour Party makes an increasingly aggressive bid to take the mantle of the party of business. We'll bring you our interview with the Shadow Business Secretary. Apple's shares fall on the news that Chinese officials are banned from using iPhones at work. And after pumping billions into sports, tourism and movies, Saudi Arabia has now set its sights on a new source of wealth and influence. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The Labour Party is making an increasingly aggressive bid to claim the Conservatives' mantle as the party of business. Speaking to Bloomberg's UK Politics podcast, the Shadow Business and Trade Secretary Jonathan Reynolds was clear on what he believes are the risks for companies. The policies Labour is offering across the board when it comes to the economy and to business, it is simply a far more compelling offer than anything the government have put forward. The risk premium for most businesses is a continuation of the Conservative government rather than a change to the Labour Party. And we've worked very hard at that, but obviously we need to continue to, to not be complacent, to continue that work, to work on the detail, which is so important in making these policies work. And we'll absolutely be continuing to do that. Jonathan Reynolds went on to say that Labour's plan for an industrial strategy council would give their plans for businesses an institutional strength and independence if they win power. You can hear that full interview on the latest edition of the UK Politics Podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen. The Bank of England's governor says that UK interest rates are near the peak. Andrew Bailey told MPs previous hikes are still feeding into the economy. Many of the indicators are now moving as we would expect them to move and are signalling that the fall in inflation will, it will continue and, as I've said a number of times, I think will be quite marked for the, by the end of this year further, further. I think we are much nearer now to the top of the cycle. The pound fell to a three-month low against the US dollar on Bailey's dovish remarks. The Bank of England governor added that major revisions upwards to official UK GDP growth helped to explain the inflation surprises we've seen in the past year. The US economy and labour market slowed in July and August. The Federal Reserve Beige Book survey of businesses suggests monetary policy is affecting demand. Boston Fed President Susan Collins says that doesn't mean traders should expect rate cuts. This phase of our policy cycle requires patience and holistic data assessment as we stay the course. I expect that we will need to hold rates at restrictive levels for some time. And while we may be near or even at the peak for policy rates, further tightening could be warranted depending on impact data. Susan Collins added she still expects an economic slowdown, although the Boston Fed chief doesn't vote this year. She sees rates remaining at high levels for some time. 
Well, U.S. regional banks may need to borrow $63 billion to comply with new capital requirements from regulators. Analysis by Bloomberg Intelligence found that 18 lenders might now need to raise significant additional debt to abide by the rules. But the research also reveals the extra capital requirement by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the Federal Reserve might not be enough to prevent future failures. Apple has suffered its worst stock decline in a month following news that Chinese government agencies have barred staff from using iPhones at work. China is the tech giant's largest international market and the firm also relies heavily on the country as a manufacturing partner. Our chief correspondent Mark German spells out why investors have been spooked by the news. First, it's the Chinese uh, government that doesn't want their employees using these devices. Is there something that's going to happen next in terms of the Chinese consumer being able to buy the Apple devices? Are there going to be limits there? Is the Chinese government going to begin clamping down on Apple's ability to sell? offer services, offer retail stores, offer Apple Care and support, right? So there clearly is a potential domino effect that I think investors are more afraid of rather than just lost sales to Chinese government workers. Mark Gurman also points out that in 2022, Beijing ordered some agencies and firms to replace foreign branded devices with domestic alternatives within two years. Forecasts say that there will be no let-up in the current heat wave gripping much of the UK. Temperatures could soar to 33 degrees Celsius on Saturday in Britain, while Europe's Earth Observation Agency says that this summer was the warmest on record. Meanwhile, Texas has announced that it's now close to rolling blackouts as soaring temperatures lead to a surge in energy use. The state has declared its first power emergency since a deadly winter storm uh, two years ago, which led to major power cuts. Cuts. Something a little lighter. Soho House wants to crack America. Have you ever been to a Soho House? I have with somebody else. Uh, it was, very good. <laughs> it was, I mean, Social life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, this is something, they're extremely popular in New York. This is one of those kind of British concepts that has worked really, really well in big yeah. cities in America. But the idea now is they want to expand across the country, 20 new houses uh, in the Americas by 2025. Um, and it's something that our colleague uh, Sabah Meddings has been talking to Andrew Carney, who's the CEO of Soho House about he only mm. took over in November actually as CEO which is interesting because he came from um, anthropology the fashion brand to Soho House as well and this is part of the expansion of it so they want to open in they've launched recently in places like Los Angeles Miami Nashville and Austin in the US uh-huh. um, but they're looking now at places that people are, because people have moved out of the likes of New York and LA during the pandemic they see a market for Soho Houses elsewhere in the US too they're also going to try and replicate the success of Soho Farmhouse which uh, I know um, our colleagues, including Lizzie Burden, who I'm looking at across the studio at the moment, has been to for work, I must point out. Uh, she went to a conference there uh, that she reported to us from, uh, but they're planning a similar idea in Rhinebeck okay. in New York as well. So Yeah, this is a sort of great British export. Well, I suppose you're, yeah, the, the rooftop uh, swimming pool at Soho House in New York. I'll see you there. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, well known for networking and much more. Yeah, anyway, nice little uh, story about Soho House that I thought we'd uh, bring to you. But look, to business, shall we? Um, because the comments from Labour's Shadow Business and Trade Secretary about how businesses are viewing, uh, should see a risk premium around the Conservatives actually winning the next election. Our UK correspondent Lizzie Burden is here in studio. Great to have you. Um, Look, Jonathan Reynolds did an extended interview with us over about 20 minutes, touched on a huge number of topics um, around Labour's um, ambitious, as he called it, plan to get the most sustained growth for Britain out of any G7 
own country if they are elected uh, in the general election that we're expecting in well by the end of next year your impressions of what he was talking about i mean i thought this was really you know very interesting and quite aggressive positioning for the labor party yeah it was a continuation of this smoked salmon and scrambled eggs offensive that they've been on to try and woo the city so when you asked about what the focus is going to be at labor party conference he said that labor's going to focus on small business he said the risk premium for businesses is more about a tory government continuing rather than a switch to labor that was the key line for me but it was also interesting that he said uh, he sees an industrial strategy council operating on the same model as the office for budget responsibility now for me on that the obr is actually incredibly small and some would argue un- underfunded compared to its international equivalents in the netherlands for example and remember it was effectively sidelined at the time of the mini budget so do they need to put more weight behind this potential industrial strategy council if they want to be serious about the growth picture remember as well jonathan reynolds takes in trade into his brief alongside business to mirror Kemi Badenoch, who also has an expanded brief. He shadows her. And the key point was that he wants to improve the relationship with the EU obviously, you might say. Uh, It's good that you pressed him on how he would do that specifically, because I'm sure our listeners want to know. So he said that there would be a healthy mobility of labour, but not quite revisiting freedom of movement. He said that there would be more mutual recognition of professional qualifications. He wants agreement on these health checks, which of course make masses of paperwork for businesses trading across the borders. And finally, he said about rejoining Horizon, this this science programme, 96.5 billion euros it's worth and indeed it was confirmed in a Bloomberg scoop later on that that's exactly what the Tories are already going to do. Now it's something that's been talks ongoing about for quite a long time. How significant is it that that has now been, it seems, a done deal? Yeah, only minor details to be ironed out, our reporters tell us. We're expecting an announcement as soon as this week, but this was a major concern. Mm -hmm. Remember, Britain was one of the biggest beneficiaries of this funding before leaving the EU fully in 2020. Officials had been in the backdrop, in the background, working on a backup plan called Pioneer, just in case the UK was shut out permanently. It was that important. And so this means that the close ties between Europe's top research hubs and the ones in Britain will be able to properly resume. But it has wider political significance as well. It signifies the improved relationship between the EU and the UK. And I saw that with my own eyes when I was in Paris, metres away from the bromance that is the relationship between Rishi Sunak and Emmanuel Macron. You'll remember that uh, Ursula von der Leyen called Rishi Sunak, dear Rishi. And here we have it, a manifestation of that warmth in policy we expect. So the Sunak government very clearly aware that this is something important to business is important to the science community and Labour it seems is going to have to do more to distinguish its position on Europe when and if you have progress from the government like this. Yeah absolutely Um, it was a really uh, excellent interview uh, to hear sort of across the waterfront Um, FOMO Caroline (laughs) it was was really good and the the other thing that I thought was very interesting was on the CMA the Competition and Markets Authority that actually uh, Reynolds was quite positive on how the CMA had handled the Microsoft Activision deal you know again another area where the UK wants to be a regulator but it's dealing with some of the biggest businesses in the world and you know um, the CMA has come in for criticism in how it has handled competition in the past but Reynolds gave it his backing 
shocking, it would seem. thought that was fascinating. Just lastly, there was also, of course, the Bank of England Governor, Andrew Bailey, who was speaking to MPs. This is the first week back for parliamentarians, and he gave us a little glimpse into a policy around interest rates in the UK. Yeah, clearly markets read it as a dovish tilt. Gilts were the outlier in the bond market yesterday. So two-year yields declining, the pound falling to its lowest in three months in response to this testimony from Andrew Bailey. So he said that rates are probably near the top of the cycle because a marked drop in inflation is likely this year. So it's the clearest signal yet that the bank is worried that further tightening could cause an unnecessarily harsh harsh recession. In other words, we've got to wait for those previous rate hikes to feed through to the economy when people refinance their mortgages. But if there's a pause at the next meeting, the question then becomes, when is the bank going to start cutting rates? And if you listen to Bailey, it seemed he supports this idea of a table mountain model that was put forward by the chief economist Hugh Pill. In other words, leaving rates high for longer. Okay, Lizzie Burden, our UK correspondent, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's the Jonathan Reynolds uh, interview and all the comments around uh, the UK interest rate uh, picture from the Bank of England Governor. Lizzie, many, many thanks. Want to turn our attention, though, elsewhere this morning. The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. To a key bit of reporting, Saudi Arabia is looking to move its economy beyond oil, not just with big investments in sports, in tourism, but also to dirty old mining. And our Saudi Arabia Bureau Chief Matthew Martin joins us now for more on this subject. Matthew, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Why is Saudi Arabia making this big push into mining? Good morning. Um, yeah, as you say, like, I mean, the, the, the Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman has been um, throwing a lot of cash around in various different industries over the past couple of years as part of this plan to diversify the economy. And one of the sort of pillars of that that they've identified now is um, mining. They, the government estimates that there is one, $1.3 trillion worth of various different minerals um, buried in the Saudi deserts, which have sat there largely ignored for many decades just because the the oil industry has been so big and so profitable um, and there hasn't been so much demand for these metals in the past that um, now they're at this moment where 
first of all, they want to diversify the economy and, and find other sources of income beyond oil. But secondly, the, these commodities, the energy transition accelerates. These commodities are in much higher demand than they have been in the past. So it's much more valuable to try and put some effort into extracting them. Uh, and so we're sort of at the beginning stages of this process of trying to um, attract companies to come in and, and start to exploit them. Can Saudi Arabia buy a seat at the table for the mining industry in the way that it has in other sectors? Well, I mean, look, it's, it's a good question because it, it has um, it, it has been able to um, throw its weight around and, and use this um, the sovereign wealth fund, the PIF, to, uh, to, to, to 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 you know make itself very very well known internationally and to become renowned as sort of a big global investor. The mining industry is a bit more difficult because you know domestically mines take um, a, a long time to develop. It's um, you know if if you if you have the resources, you find the, the partners that want to develop it, then it's going to be, you know, it can be up to 10 years to develop some of these things to commercial production. We went out and saw what the biggest exploration block um, a few weeks ago, which is being um, developed now, but they're not going to reach the beginning of commercial production for another couple of years. Uh, peak production will be another few years um, later than that, so it's going to be more towards sort of 2030. So this is this is a big long-term project. On the flip side, though, what, one thing that the government can do and and is starting to do is to use the sovereign wealth fund to buy up. Uh, and invest in mining resources internationally. And I think that's where we're going to see um, the most sort of the, the, the biggest international splash as the government looks to uh, throw its money around in the, the, the big global mining projects. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in terms of the international firms that are coming to Saudi, give us a flavour of, of, of the names. Well, what we've seen is um, that the Saudis host this big mining conference every January, which is now attracting all of the biggest names in the mining industries. Um, the, the sort of the CEOs of the Glencores and the Rio Tintos and the BHPs are all coming in and turning up at the conference. Um, what we're not seeing, though, is when the the Saudis are doing the auctions of um, of exploration blocks and, and of mining licenses. Is we're not seeing those companies want to come in and, and bid for them. It's sort of going to the, some of the more sort of smaller and mid tier firms. So um, th- this is perhaps sort of a reflection of how much the um, how much the big global miners are still taking a very cautious approach to Saudi's ambitions so far. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.